Well, good morning, Crossroads. I want to take a chance just to welcome everyone that's joined us here in Goshen, in Mishawaka, St. Pete, and online outside of Drive-In Church. You guys, we've got a lot of people joining us from a lot of different areas today, and I'm excited about where we are heading in this series. I want to big, give a, a big shout out out of the gate, a big thank you to Remington Anxorus last week, John Hauser two weeks ago for bringing the word. Can we just show our appreciation to those guys? I thought they did a fantastic job and uh, continuing this series and helping us draw closer to Jesus, because as we've been progressing through this series this summer, taking a look at the fruits of the Spirit, what we realize is that these are attributes, these are characteristics that are to flow out of our lives when we are pursuing Jesus, because it's all about our relationship with Jesus. It's not about a religion per se. It is about that relationship with Jesus and how that relationship changes us. And so it says in Galatians 5 something very powerful. Paul writes this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It says there is no law against these things. You can do those things all the time. No one is ever going to be angry with you. That is what God has called you to do. That is who he has called you to be. And as we draw closer to Jesus, what we realize is that all of these characteristics are all tied together with love. And so that's why we've just said love is the root of the fruit, all right? It starts with love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. All of the rest of these attributes are different expressions of God's love flowing in us and through us. And as we come to these traits at the end of the fruits of the Spirit, when we talk about faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, these are really inward-looking fruits. The first three are, are upward toward God, love, joy, peace. Those are the things I experience in my life because of who God is and what He's done for me. When we talk about patience and kindness and goodness, those are outward fruits. That's how I relay my faith and my life with others. Well, when we're talking about faithfulness, when we're talking about gentleness, as we're talking about today, when we're talking about self-control, as we'll wrap up the series next week, these are inward fruits. These, these are about what's going on in my heart and how I restrain myself in the face of adversity. It's, it's how I show myself faithful and true. These are the deepest parts of my character. And so as we're diving in today to talk about gentleness, I think we got to start by asking that question, right? What is gentleness? Well, I think in the, in the stream of defining it as what love is, I think we can say today that gentleness is love submitting. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Gentleness is love submitting. I don't think in our culture today anybody likes to admit, like, I have submitted. Like, you win. I lose. I surrender. In our culture today, you're kind of a loser if that's what your approach is, right? Like, yeah, I just I surrender. Whatever. You win. That's not really something that our culture highlights. And I think in our society today, when you define someone as being gentle or being meek, I think the, the overall idea of that, that expression is someone who is weak, right? But today, we've got to just start out of the gate by saying meekness is not weakness, all right? Let's just go there. I think we should all say that together, actually, so that it all sticks with us. Meekness is not weakness. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Meekness is not weakness. I would have had you say that again, but you did it pretty great the first time, so you guys are all set. Uh, let's talk about what it means to be meek today. Because if, if meekness was weakness, I don't think that Jesus would say this in Matthew 5, 5, where he said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. That's a pretty big deal. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Otherwise translated, they'll inherit God's promise. They, they will receive His inheritance for their life. They seek and, and they find the kingdom of heaven. That's a big deal. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are the, the pushovers. Is that what he's saying? We're going to define that today. We're going to walk into and in, uh, tie into to what the Scripture says about that because in reality, I just want to contend with you today that being gentle and exuding this characteristic of what it is to be meek is one of the strongest things you can possibly do. And as we unpack this principle today, I would challenge you to think about this in terms of the reality that when someone is living with this characteristic in their life, when gentleness is flowing out of your heart, when meekness is something that defines you, in no way is that meekness, weakness. What we are talking about is someone who cares much more deeply about what God thinks than they do about what anyone else around them thinks. What we're talking about is someone who has the courage and the strength and the fortitude to do what's right no matter what. And that takes grit. That takes determination. That takes courage at the deepest level. And I want to unpack that today in terms of how we see this term described in Scripture. People have a hard time defining what gentleness, what meekness really is. In fact, if you look it up in Webster's Dictionary, Webster himself has like three different definitions. He's a little confused by that as well. And so what I want to do today is take a look at the two themes that we see regarding this term in Scripture. There's one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. And I want to challenge you today to think about this concept as a merging of these two definitions because it creates a powerful picture of the life that God has called us to, and it helps us understand, I think, more fully what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's take a look at what it means in the Greek. In the New Testament, when, when the writers of the, of the New Testament and in the Greek world, when they talked about this concept of gentleness or meekness, what they were talking about was power that was restrained. It was knowing that you had power, knowing that you had influence, but it was holding that in check. And the way that that was communicated and related was the analogy of taming a wild animal, okay? And I'm, I'm talking about real power, all right? I'm not talking about, you know, it's not training your poodle to roll over. That's not the kind of power we're talking about, all right? Think about like that wild stallion that gets trained. They, they break the stallion and now all the power and the energy and the passion and the spirit of the wild stallion, now that's been harnessed, you can ride the stallion and you have that power under control. Think of it in those ways. How about going straight to the top, king of the jungle? Let's talk about lions for a second. We pulled up this uh, video footage from 1939. This is real life. This guy walks into a cage full of lions in 1939, and you don't realize the scope of what he's doing until the cameraman kind of pans out, and you realize this guy's in a cage with like a dozen different lions, and that, frankly, is terrifying to me. That is scarier to me than going to the Elkhart County Fair. I just want you to know that. It's scary. It's terrifying. And what you realize is that at any moment, a lion in that moment in that cage could completely destroy that guy, right? But that is the picture of power restrained. 
And how that relates to us is it's the realization that, yeah, there are going to be people in my life who drive me crazy. There are going to be people that irritate me, tick me off, and I'm going to want to respond. I'm going to want to crush them. But just because I can doesn't mean I should. And it's knowing the right balance of how to live life in that way and in that regard. What does it look like to live under perfect control? I love this quote and this thought from Aristotle, and I'm not talking about the big Aristotle. This is not Shaquille O'Neal. This is regular-sized Aristotle. Uh, Lived about 300 or so BC, the great thinker of his day, mentor to Alexander the Great, and he had thoughts on what it meant to be meek that are very interesting. Aristotle described being meek as being right in the center of a place of balance, he said if there was a continuum, if there was a line which on one end had just complete recklessness, and then on the other end of it had complete cowardice, I'm a total pushover, I'm not willing to take any type of stand or do anything that requires any type of courage, in the middle of those two extremes would be courage. And that's actually how he described what it meant to be gentle, what it meant to be meek. It's the balance between two extremes. And so when he applied that to anger, he had a quote about that. It's hard to wrap your mind around. He's saying, in regard to anger, when you are meek, that means that you know when you get angry, it's because there are certain things that have happened that require you to be angry. You're getting angry for the right reason. You're You're getting angry at the right person. You're getting angry in the right way. You're getting angry in the right moment and you're getting angry for the right amount of time. That, that seems like an awful lot of boxes to check off when you're angry, right? It, it means you're, you're controlled. You know, being gentle and being meek doesn't mean you're never angry. It means that when you do get angry, you go about it the right way, and that's the point of that. It's keeping everything in balance. It's having courage to know what's right and to do that no matter what the cost. It's perfect control. It's this idea of self-restraint. And, you know, i got to be honest, as, as good of a job, I think, as Aristotle probably did of defining that, <laughs> there's someone that, that you see in Scripture who defined it quite a bit better, and his name was Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Jesus. But Jesus, the week before he was to be crucified, the week before he was to suffer and die, the week before he was to fulfill the mission that he came to planet Earth for, to seek and to save that which was lost, it says that he entered into Jerusalem full of gentleness and full of meekness. I love the passage of Scripture in Matthew uh, chapter 21 that, that sets this up because he's with his disciples and as he's about ready to approach Jerusalem, it's a great story. It's one of my favorite lines in the Bible. Jesus sends a couple of his disciples ahead and he tells them, hey guys, we're about to go into Jerusalem and I need to ride a donkey and it's going to fulfill one of the many prophecies about the Messiah. And he says, I want you to grab this donkey at this house and if anyone asks you, what are you doing with the donkey? You just tell them, the Lord needs it. I just think that's a great line. Wouldn't that have been a great circumstance? Like, hey, what are you doing? It's it's for the Lord. The Lord needs it. I, I would not recommend doing that today. I think that is a specific scripture, a specific direction for that moment in time. Like, hey, what are you doing with my car? The Lord needs it. No, don't do that. All right? This is for a specific moment in time for these specific disciples. 
but it, gets, it makes me chuckle. It's like, <laughs> those are the Lord's chips. It just makes me think of that for some reason. Um, the reality is Jesus sets this up and, and it creates a moment where he enters Jerusalem with everyone yelling praises to him, everyone yelling Hosanna. Salvation is here. Salvation is here. It's this unbelievable moment that we always celebrate on Palm Sunday leading up to Easter. But it fulfills this prophecy and it describes Jesus. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, meek, and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What, what does that mean? He's gentle, he's meek. He's coming to you to fulfill his mission. I, think about power restrained. Think about the creator of the universe who at the snap of a finger, at a spoken word could have changed the entire course of history. As he began to be beaten and punished for our sins, at any moment could have just said, no, I'm done. This isn't worth it. I'm out. You want to talk about courage? You want to talk about strength, grit, determination? That's Jesus in the face of the beating and the suffering and being hung on that cross, hung there to die. At any moment, he could have snapped his fingers and that's all done. But he continued on. He pressed on. It was power restrained. I mean, you think about gentleness, meekness, courage. Man, I tell you, that is not weak. That is what God has done for us. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's what we see in, in the Greek, in the New Testament. It's, it's this picture of power that is under control. It's power that is restrained. Perfect control. And in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, you see a little bit different picture. It's, it's someone who is humble before God. Over and over again, you see in the Old Testament these, these men of God who experienced his presence, and in humility, they allowed God to use them. But here's the kicker. When God spoke to them, when he gave them guidance, they followed through. They obeyed him and did what he asked them to do no matter what. No matter what. It's perfect obedience. And so when you think about in the Old Testament, this, this verse, Numbers chapter 12, that says, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all men that were on the face of the earth. If you think of meekness as weakness, this doesn't make any sense at all. Because Moses, I'm sorry, Moses was the man, all right? And I think a lot of times when we read this scripture, we say, oh yeah, Moses was meek. Because when God appeared to him at the burning bush, how did his whole ministry, how did his whole leadership over Israel begin? It started with him recognizing that the presence of God is in front of him in the form of a fire that's burning, but not burning up a bush. God speaks to him and begins sharing his vision for his life. And it's in that moment in the presence of God where Moses responds by saying, God, send anyone else but me. <laughs> that's how he started. And so I think we have that picture in our mind of that moment of Moses of, oh, meek. Yeah, we get it. Total pushover. He's not going to do anything. He's a wimp. But that is not the picture that we see of Moses. That's not Moses' character. That does not describe the story that he lives out. 
No, Moses is the guy that despite his fears, despite his insecurities, despite being overwhelmed by what God was calling him to do, Moses is the one who went before Pharaoh 10 times and said, let my people go. At any moment, Pharaoh could have had Moses killed. Moses had the courage to stand up to the leader of the Egyptians and say, this is what God wants us to do. That's not weak. That's courage. When you think about Moses leading the, the Israelites out of, the, of, of Egypt across the Red Sea, he does all of these extraordinary things, but one of the defining moments for Moses as a leader is when the presence of God settles on Mount Sinai. The people have been wandering. God wants to speak to them, and it says his presence lands on the mountain, and there's thunder, there's lightning, there's earthquakes, and the people are terrified. No one will approach the mountain and they say, Moses, you have to go to the mountain. We're too terrified that you're the only one that can. Moses is the only one that approaches the mountain of God and the terror that that is. And for 40 days, it says he spends his time in the presence of God on the mountain. God speaks to him. God reveals himself to him. God gives him the Ten Commandments and the guidance for his people. It's an unbelievable moment in the journey of Moses and the journey of the Israelites. And it's in that moment, those 40 days, that in the presence of God, the Israelites say, we need a God we can control. They build themselves an idol, a golden calf. And as Moses is coming down the mountain, he hears the Israelites worshiping this other God, and God sees what's going on and says to Moses, what is it with these people? They turn away from me so quickly, I will destroy them. Moses, you and I will start a new people. And Moses says to God, God, no, you can't do that. You made a covenant. I'm sorry, but that is not weak. That's just all I'm going to say. He stood up to God and said, God, no, you need to keep your word on this. And God says, yeah, I got you. I see what you're doing here, and I, I will be faithful. Meek is not weak. Meek takes courage, gentleness, power that is under control, but it's also obedience. And, and the thing that I love about that is the combination, because in the Hebrew sense, we have this concept of perfect obedience. In humility, when I realize God is speaking to me, God is, is talking to me, God is calling me to become more like him, he's calling me to take a step of faith, I'm going to obey that voice no matter what. What a beautiful concept that is, perfect obedience. But I'll tell you what, when you combine that with the Greek sense, it talks about perfect control, perfectly restraining all of my urges, all of my anger, all of my emotions, and, and submitting those to God. What a beautiful picture of the God-controlled life that that paints. The life that is described as perfect control combined with perfect obedience. That is the life that pleases God. And I would contend with you today that when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, I think that's what he's talking about. Because I don't think this refers so much to as an attitude toward people as it does humility before God. That's what gentleness is. That's what it means to be meek. I just want to encourage you today. I just want to challenge you to think about that a little bit differently. How does that land with you? What does that look like when you think about love submitting and the reality that God calls me to daily surrender who I am 
and surrender what I want and all my desires and all my dreams, make sure that those are all submitted to him so that my life reflects who God is and, and what he wants for me. Because that's where life is lived to the fullest, when I'm doing what God has called me to do. So when you think about life in those terms, what you realize is that when I'm allowing this characteristic, this fruit of gentleness and meekness to overflow out of my heart, what I really am doing is saying, God, you've got control. Any power, any influence that I have, God, I want you to have that. If people are driving me crazy just because I can crush them, doesn't mean I should, right? It's keeping that in check. In that continuum between recklessness and cowardice, I'm going to land right in the middle and show courage. I'm going to do what's right no matter what. It's that power restraint. I think of it in this illustration as, as a football team. You guys, football season's coming up, and I can't wait. I'm just so excited to see the Packers lose to the Bears this year. Um, <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, there's the reality that before the, the chaos ensues of a football play, right? Like all this, all these 11 versus 11, bodies crashing, people running around, people getting tackled, it's crazy chaos. All these peak athletes, prime condition, they're just tearing each other apart. Their goal is to crush the person in front of them. And so, I mean, you think about how all of that chaos ensues, but how does it begin? It begins with all of them lining up in an even line and they're waiting for the snap, right? And they all are sitting there perfectly controlled. They're, they're totally restrained. They're on the lines and they're looking eye to eye to the person that they're about to take out. It's like, I am about to destroy you. And if you're on the Detroit Lions, the guy's going, yes, you are. <laughs> you gotta have some fun with that. But there's all that power all that chaos that's about to ensue. And what happens right before they're just sitting there? And there's gamesmanship. You know, sometimes the offense line, he quivers and, the team, ah! and they blow the whistle. Flag, flag, flag. Because you didn't show restraint. They line back up. They're looking at each other. And then the quarterback says hike. The center snaps the ball and chaos ensues. But that moment when they line up, that's all that power. It's, it's under control. It's... It's showing restraint. That's what I want to encourage you today to think about when it comes to gentleness in your life, meekness. How is God calling you to submit the power, the control, the influence that you have to him? What does it look like in your life to meld together these two concepts of perfect control, taming the wild animal, with perfect obedience? In humility before God saying, God, when you speak, I'm going to obey, no matter what. I would contend with you today that it's the melding of those two concepts, perfect obedience, perfect control, that perfectly describe the, the God-controlled, the, the God-first life that Jesus is calling us to. I think that's why in Matthew 5, 5, he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You will inherit the promises of God when you live your life perfectly obedient perfectly controlled. I think that's what we need to be striving for. And so I just want to ask you today, have you submitted your life to God? And specifically, as we come to a close, I would just ask you to consider, has, has God been speaking to you throughout this time together today? What stronghold in your life is God asking you to submit to Him? Because when you come at it from these two different angles, there's a lot to deal with. When it comes to perfect obedience, what is it that you're holding back on? What is it that you know that God's speaking into your life, that he's calling you to take a next step, and you're holding back? 
It's time to, to follow his guidance no matter what. That's what he calls us to is perfect obedience. Combined with perfect control, what is it that you need to restrain? Have you been acting in anger? Have you allowed your emotions to get you know, in your way? Have you treated someone a way you shouldn't? Because just because you can doesn't mean you should. Are you in balance? Instead of being reckless or completely a coward, are you walking with courage, showing restraint, doing what is right no matter what? As we come to a close, I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me, and I ask you to take this time to draw close to Jesus and to ask yourself this question. With your head bowed and eyes closed, what stronghold in your life is God asking you to submit to him? In our society, it is strange to think about the idea of surrender, the idea of submission being the thing that wins the day. But when it comes to Jesus, I would contend with you today, that's where real life begins. It starts by saying yes to Jesus. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching and you're realizing, I've not said yes to Jesus. I need to submit my life to him. Because the truth is, Jesus came here to planet Earth. He came to seek and to save you. We were all lost, we were all outsiders, and it didn't matter. Jesus came to planet Earth to suffer, to lay himself down on that cross as a sacrifice for our sins so that in him we could be forgiven, that in him we could experience life. That's what he did for you and that's what he did for me. I just want to encourage you today, if you've never said yes to Jesus, would you do that right now? Just say, yes, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Help me to become more like you. Because that's where the journey begins. And it continues every single day by daily surrendering, by daily submitting my desires to Jesus. To trying to live perfectly in obedience, surrendering control of everything that I have to him. I ask you today, what stronghold in your life is God asking you to submit to him? Jesus, you're good. And we just thank you in this moment for who you are, for the incredible love that you have for us. It is your mercy and it is your grace that has made all of this possible. We have a relationship with you. And you have a purpose and you have a plan for each and every one of us. And God, help us to understand that we live fully into that when we exude these fruits of your spirit in our lives because we're walking with you, we're becoming more like you. And God, as we unpack this fruit of, of gentleness, of what it means to be meek today, God, help us to apply this to our lives, to do our best to be completely obedient, to do our best to give you complete control because that is the life you've called us to. That is the life that is blessed. That is the life that inherits your promise, inherits your land. So God, we give it to you. We lay our, our problems, our issues, all of our hurts, we lay them at your feet. Jesus, we give them to you today. We pray this in your name. Amen.